Good morning. Good to see you. Strange to be up here, just so you know. Oh. Okay, let's open in a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is great to be here. It is great to make it to this space. I thank you for how you have taught me. I thank you for um, this passage that back in uh, May, it seems that uh, when I prayed about whether I should teach and preach on the 28th of June, I had a clear sense that you would meet me here. And you have. So, I ask that you help me not to mess it up, for you know that I am capable of that. I ask that you would guide my thoughts and my words that I might be able to communicate those things which you have taught me and that they might be useful to those who are listening, that you might prepare us all for your word, that we might be able to be renewed and strengthened for the life that you have given us in your Son. So we thank you, and we give this time to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, there are five things that I would like to talk to you about that will suck the life out of you, if you are not careful. They are listed, I'm going to have to look back every now and then because I'm not sure we're working with the PowerPoint and it's awesome. So these five things are this, being asleep, being afraid, being ashamed, being adrift, or being achievement focused. Paul is talking to his, uh, his young mentee. And he dumps the truck during these verses, all over him. And so, if you are able, uh, would you stand and let us, uh, let us read the text for today? We are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us by a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good, the good deposit entrusted to you. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, I'm going to start at the end of the passage. I'm going to start at chapter 14 because I think that's kind of the charge uh, that Paul is putting out there uh, for what's going on. He says this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit 
entrusted to you. There's a couple ideas that I want to talk about. He's a, Paul talks to Timothy, he says, I want you to guard this. What, in order to guard something, it's kind of like you have to have two things. Like in a basketball game, when the coach pulls the, te- the team aside and he looks at a kid and he says, listen, you have got to guard number 26. We understand the instructions. There are two things that that player needs to think about when he's guarding. One is he has to think about the player. And the second thing he's got to think about is where is the player in reference either to another player or guarding him so he doesn't get the ball or guarding him so he doesn't have to take a shot. And so Paul's coming to Timothy and he's at the end here, his final charge is saying, listen, you've you got to guard this deposit. What are we doing? Well, there's two, there's two sides. Number one is you have to guard what has been given to you? The good deposit could be a number of different things. Number one is probably the Holy Spirit that has been placed inside of Timothy. And we'll look at that as well. So it's clearly that you have been given the good deposit, that, that the Holy Spirit has come inside of you and has done something, and you need to kind of pay attention to that. So that's, that's the one thing. The second thing that you need to think about is you know, what are we guarding it from? You're guarding it from... Our broken nature, you need to guard it from your, your own, this list of five things that I think are there. You need to guard it from the fall, fallen world that surrounds you. There's just so much that's coming against you that wants to take or compromise this good deposit. And you need to guard from Satan, from spiritual warfare, from the things that can bring you down, the things that can take you apart if you are not doing that. If you don't understand the good deposit and you don't understand what you're guarding against, you're going to lose track. And so that's where Paul ends. But let's go to chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, <clears throat> and let's see how he gets there. That's where we're going. We're going, so take a look at chapter 6. Excuse me, chapter 1, verse 6. Let me give you a little bit of context. As I've already said, who's talking? It's Paul. Where is he? He is in prison at this time. So he is chained up, and he is writing a letter. Who is he writing to? He's writing to his faithful mentee, Timothy. Paul loves this guy. Just loves this guy. He sees in him. He has a vision. Anytime you have a mentor, anytime there's somebody that's like pouring into you, they have to see you and what's possible in you. And Paul is just all over Timothy. He just sees you are just awesome. And sort of not so awesome i got to do some things, and he sees that as well. Um, the first letter, 1 Timothy, is thought to have been written in about 62, 63 A.D., so this is about, about 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of Christ. This second uh, book is probably written, different people look at it a little different way, but a, a year and a half to two years later. And so Paul's writing this second letter, kind of a follow-up letter to say, how are you doing? Um, Paul's situation in 1 Timothy, he was not in prison is what we believe. And now his situation has gotten worse. Things are worse and you get a sense as we go through this, this book that this is kind of his last will and testament to Timothy. He says, I'm being poured out. He's saying, you know what, I think this is done. He's saying, you know what, just right there I can see the finish line. And I think God's going to pull me out of the game. I, I don't think... I don't think this is going to 
I don't think I'm going to be in this world very much longer. And so let's take a look at these five things that Paul is talking about. Verse, uh, verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God. Last week Greg talked about this phrase, for this reason. Paul opens and says, hey, there's all these things. I want to remind you about something. I want to remind you about your, your, you have been called by God's will. I want to remind you about the power of the gospel. I want to remind you about the family origin. You're fa- you come from good stock a spiritual stock of your grandmother and your mother. They've been a part of this. I want to remind you of critical events. I was there. I saw you weep. And I also want to, through vital spiritual friendships, and that's us. And so Paul says, fan into flames. And as I thought about this, I'm like, what's he talking about? And, and the term that I use for this is that, that Paul's, or excuse me, Timothy's kind of fallen asleep. He's kind of falling asleep. Paul's like, hey, remember. And you, you might say, well, why is Timothy asleep? I think Timothy's worn out. I think Timothy is like, this is hard. This thing that I'm doing, working with these people, working in this city of Ephesus, trying to get things going, it, it's hard work. You know what? People don't like me. People think I suck at my job. People think I'm, I'm not very smart and that I'm probably, I shouldn't be doing this. And then I've got a whole city that says, what you're talking about is kind of stupid. And I think he's just kind of tired. Paul looks at him and he says, you got to wake up. you got to wake up. you got to fan the flame. And what does this mean? What does it mean to fan the flame? I mean, go back to the basketball. You know, if I was going to tell you that I play basketball all the time, which I don't, but let's just for the moment, let's say I'm a basketball player. I love basketball. I am going to play basketball. That It would make sense that I go to the gym. It would probably make sense that I watch other people who play basketball. It, it probably would make sense that uh, I may even read about basketball. I think about it when I'm sitting around. I work in the high schools, and I, I, I just see kids. I see athletes, boys and girls that are sitting there, and they'll have their, they're all dressed up because they dress up on game day, and, and they're not there. They're not in the classroom. They're just like thinking. They're thinking about the plays, and they're thinking about their, their, the game tonight, and it makes sense. We're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And so Paul comes to him and says, hey, wake up fan the flame, and do some things. Well, what would be some good things? Uh, my uh, MC and I, we are reading uh, C.J. Mahaney's book, The Cross-Centered Life. And C.J. Mahaney, Mahaney says these five things. And you are going to listen to these five things, and you are not going to be impressed. You're not going to go, oh, I'm so glad he was here today to bring us such amazing wisdom and clarity. You are not going to say that. Here's what they are. Memorize Scripture. Probably never thought about that. Pray. Worship. Review what God has done. And study the Gospel. You're just overwhelmed with just the fount of application right now. 
But that's what happens to you when you're asleep. Anytime I have gone through a season where it has not gone well, I'm not doing these things. This is not rocket science. It's, it's not. But we forget. We fall asleep. We get tired. We think, eh, I don't really need to do that. It's not really that important. And Paul has to come to his mentee and say, Timothy, you, you got to fan the flame. There are certain things that you got to do. You got to get back in the game. You need to wake up and do what you have been called to do. Timothy clearly needs this. We don't get any sense that when Timothy received that, he's like, what are you talking about? I got it all covered. No, Timothy needed to hear this. He needed to hear that he needed to wake up. Well, what happens when you wake up, if all of a sudden you're like, you're aware of what's going on, the next thing that's logical is you are afraid. Why? Because now you understand the problem. Like, shoot, there's a lot of things that I'm supposed to be doing right now that I, this is hard. And so where does Paul go? He gives us this next thing. He says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This is what God said. He said, hey, don't be afraid. Man, fear is a big deal. We realize the things that we need to do. And we realize that, that, that it's going to take something of us that maybe we don't have. It's, it's interesting that, that Paul says, he says, I didn't give you a spirit of fear. And, and then he unloads these three ideas. He unloads Power, love, and self-control. And quite honestly, as I was looking at this, I'm like, I thought about the order. Why in the world does Paul do this? Remember Paul? He says, faith, hope, and love, right? And the greatest of these is love. So why is love second? Like, what in the world does that mean? Why would it be second? So in my Bible memory verse, I have a little app that I use for my Bible memory verse, and I tripped across this one. I, one of the first verses that I've ever memorized, and that is Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you? But to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I, I, you know what? That's a lot like what Paul's doing right now. What does, what does God, he has shown you, O Timothy, what is good. And I can't help but think that Paul knew this particular verse. That's kind of a Novakian thing. I just made that up, but it makes sense to me. Is that, that Paul said, listen. Do you want power? Act justly. If you don't feel very powerful, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times I'm not feeling particularly like powerful. Powerful when the things that we say come to pass. We're powerful when the things that, that we do have been thought out, when we act justly, when we respond to a situation that is appropriate and takes into account the people that we're working with, when there's justice there. I think there's power. And I love what Micah uh, talks about. It says, Love's mercy. Timothy needs. 
I don't really like the word love. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it. I know I should be, and I'm still struggling with that in my life. But it's just like love is love. I hate that phrase. I love it's just like love, just, it just I feel slimy and just like stop. I just feel like I'm supposed to like there's an obligation that I need to generate some kind of emotion. And, and I can't get there, and so then I get frustrated, and then I don't like it. But love mercy, I can do that. And I can imagine that Timothy needed that. Hey, Timothy, all the jerks in your life that are being cruel to you, that aren't showing you respect, that aren't listening to you, your culture that doesn't pay attention, guess what? Love mercy. Love them. Love them with mercy. Give them mercy. They don't deserve it, and they didn't even ask for it. But you want to do this thing that I've called you to? You better love mercy. So I think that's what he did. Well, the next thing is Paul goes, he says, Therefore, in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. If all of a sudden I have no longer any fear and I've got a sense of power and love and self-control and a sense of who God is and what He can do, and I look at what I'm doing and how it's going, and I'm ashamed. I should have been doing more. I should have been doing more. I, I don't know about you, but man, this pandemic has just kicked me around. It's just kicked me around. It's taught me things that hopefully I can get my hands around and do something with, but one of the things that it's done is it's just made me feel ashamed. I've just been overwhelmed with shame. Because I've had some time to spend with God and, and look at His power and, and the love that He has for me and the love I need to demonstrate and, and the self-control that I need to go and, and roll into that. I didn't even talk about that. I got so excited we just blew past self-control. So we'll, we'll just keep moving. But there was shame in what God has taught me and what I'm not doing. And, and I think... Paul comes to, him, comes to Timothy and says, don't be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. Give it. I don't care where you were yesterday. Give it. I don't care what the progress of what you're going on is. Give it. And don't be ashamed of me. His mentor is in prison. I don't know how many people that you have that, hey, yeah, he's the guy I follow. Where is he? He's in jail. Paul says, don't be ashamed of me. This is not about me and it's not about you. Get over yourself and don't be ashamed of this testimony that you have been given. All shame finds its solution in the cross. All. There's two basic kinds of shame. There's me-generated shame. And that's shame that when I sin and when I'm aware of my sin, when I'm my selfishness or my lust or my arrogance or my just doing stuff for myself, and God brings an awareness of that, there is shame. I am ashamed. There's a conviction that, that I've done something that I, that I shouldn't have. And there's a solution for that. It's to seek forgiveness. It's to come into God's presence. It's to accept the blood that He has poured out upon us, and we are to be cleansed. Shame is to be a temporary existence. The second kind of shame is, 
is the shame that the world generates. It says, well, you're not that hot stuff. You're talking about some dead guy and he died 2,000 years ago and you believe some old book and are you kidding? There's lots of conflicts in the scriptures. It really doesn't agree. It's, you waste your time with that? There's a shame that comes when the world does not buy into what God has placed within us. And the solution for that is Christ as well. The solution to that is when we are in the presence of people who don't agree and don't understand and and are ignoring and are hard-hearted and we are ashamed of that, God comes to us in this next segment and He says, don't pay attention to that. He says, the God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. See, what can happen when we are suffering and we feel shame is that we can become adrift. We lose track of where we are. We don't understand. See, suffering like a storm causes confusion. We get pressed against stuff. We may get conviction. We may get people talking to us about stuff and we're just, it just, we're lost. And Paul comes to Timothy and says, it's possible. In fact, it's very likely that you need a reminder that you've been called. You have a calling, and it doesn't have anything to do with your sin. It doesn't have anything to do with the culture that you're in. It doesn't have anything to do with the response of what people are doing. It is a holy calling that you have been called to. You are not adrift. You have a direction. You have something that you must do, and that is a holy calling. When we have a sense of this calling and we move forward in that, Paul leads us to the fifth one. And we can get caught up with our own stuff. We can get say, you know what? I'm doing cool things. Or more likely, I'm not. And Paul says this. Not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. We are called to not look at what we're doing. We are called solely to His purpose and His grace. We have to step away from that. And we need to focus on this purpose and grace. What is that? In this second division, Paul just takes a minute. He says, I got I to talk to you a little bit about this because, Timothy, I think you're getting a little bit confused. I think you're getting a little bit focused on yourself. You're getting a little bit focused on your context. You're getting a little bit focused on what's going on. This is what you are called to. He says, we are called to something that is before us. Go ahead and go to that next division. It's God's purpose and grace. There are four things. Timothy, this which has been given to us in Christ is before you. You didn't start this. I know you're a pioneer in Ephesus, but, but you didn't start this. Don't get yourself all excited about that. This was before you. It is not of you. You don't have to generate this. It didn't manifest in you. It manifested in the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And it is beyond us. It is something that you cannot do. So don't wear yourself out. This is something that came to abolish death and brought life. And it is for us. Timothy, this is for you. And it is also for us in this room. It is that, that he brought us life and immortality to light. He, he brought that to us. So what, what Paul's done here, he says, hey, remember what's going on. And he walks through these five things and he says, I hope that you are not asleep. I hope that you are not afraid. I hope that you are not ashamed. I hope you are not adrift. And I hope you are not achievement focused. Because you need to be about a gospel that came before you. And then in verse 11, Paul does an interesting thing. He pivots. I teach, as Greg talked about, I teach a Bible study. Um, and um, I have my partner. He has a great car. And um, I love that car. And I think somehow it leaked out that I love that car. And a number of years ago, at the end of our, of our year in May, he came to me and he said, hey, do you want to drive the car to Granite City? I'm like, yeah. And so, it is a 2009 Mustang convertible V8, which is a really nice car in my mind. And, uh, and so I got the keys, and I can still remember that first time. I've done it every year for the last six years. And I go to that car, and I sit down in that car. And I don't know if you've sat in a, in a, in a sports car, but there's something about sitting in a sports car that makes you believe that you do not need a seatbelt. You know, there's, the way the seat, it just kind of sucks you in. And so I put the seatbelt on, and I, I, I open the top, and, uh, and where I'm going with this, it'll make sense in a minute. And, and, and I turn it on and I set the music and, and I go down and I make my way from the church and I head toward Granite City. Now, as I turn onto the on-ramp, onto the highway, every hair in my body is standing at attention. Now, I don't have a lot of hair up here, but I have nose hair, I have ear hair, I have arm hair, and all of it is standing at attention because I know that I'm going to go from zero to 65 in about four seconds. And it is terrifying. And when I get to the highway, I'm legal because it's 65 miles an hour. I haven't sped. I've just gotten there very fast. And I don't have to change lanes because I'm going to get off at the next exit. And I'm going to do it again. And I do it all the way to Granite City. And it is the most amazing thing. It's just a rush to see, to be inside of a fine vehicle and see what it's supposed to do. And Paul pivots at this point in the text. And he says... Let me show you what a Mustang faith 
looks like. And he does that. Look at the text, verse 11. Starts out kind of soft. He says, For which I was appointed as a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He's like, I have a job. It's a very specific job. It's a calling for which I suffer. I suffer for this, Timothy. I suffer greatly for this. Watch me drive this faith. This is what it looks like. And I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Timothy, I am not asleep, for I believe in the God that calls. Timothy, I am not afraid, for I believe in the God of the Old Testament who gives power and love and self-control. Timothy, I am not ashamed, for I believe that there is one greater than my suffering and my shame. Timothy, I am not adrift, for I believe that there is a calling that gives purpose to my life, even as I sit in prison. Timothy, I am not achievement-focused, for I believe that there is a purpose and a grace that is greater than this world and is worth pouring out my life. And then Paul continues, he says, And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Paul even says, I'm not even driving the car. I'm not even doing the guarding. Timothy, I believe that God has entrusts me. He is entrusting me. He is guarding me until that day. This is not even about me. I'm just in the car and it looks good. And then we get this last part. Verse 13. It's amazing what he says. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> He comes to Timothy and he says, listen, I know it's hard. I know it's hard what you're doing. I know that there are men who are set to destroy you, that there are systems that are designed to bring you down, that there are expectations that you feel you are not able to meet, and there are actions that you seem unable to take. But Timothy, my struggle is greater than yours, and I make it look good. He has the boldness to say to his mentee, uh-huh, my situation is worse, and I make it look good. And this is why, and it's in that phrase right after that, in the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I know you're struggling. And you look at me, and you see this Mustang that I am driving, and I am driving it well, and I'm making it look good. But the reason that I am doing that is because of the love and faith that is in Christ Jesus, and I want you to have that. Paul is speaking to Timothy and saying, you are next to drive the Mustang. 
You are next to do this. You have the capability because it's not about me and it's not about you. It is about our faith and our love in Christ that you may drive this faith that can give glory to God and it's not about us. So I don't know where you are right now, but it's time to get over yourself. And I think I'm preaching to myself probably more than anybody else. If you are asleep, it is time to wake up and make large that which has been given to you. You are to be a biblical athlete. You are to be in training. You are to be about the business of seeking and understanding what it is that we believe. And you are to flame that, fan that into a flame that somebody can see. If you are afraid, it's time to put that fear in a Ziploc bag and step into the power and love and self-control. It is a waste of your time. If you are ashamed, stop it. Stop it. It is a waste of your time and energy and talent. Lingering shame gives testimony to, you know what it gives testimony to? The inadequacy of God, the incompetency of God, the insufficiency of God, and it needs to go. Shame needs to go. It is not of God. And if you are a person that thinks that this shame has been given to you somehow in a way that is deserving to you, then you do not understand the cross. If you are adrift, you need to repurpose your actions. And that doesn't mean like go out and get busy and do kinds of stuff. It means just the opposite. It means rest. It means be still. A lot of times when we get adrift and we feel like we, there's suffering and there's shame and confusion around us, we feel like we have to go and go do something. That is exactly what God does not want you to do. The first thing that you must do before you can be anything about useful to God and to His glory is you need to stop. In Isaiah it says, in rest and repentance is your salvation. Settle into your shoes when things are hard. Just feel the arches in your feet. Feel yourself just touch the ground and your whole body just kind of click and say, God is with you, and you will not be adrift. It says, in quietness and trust is your strength. There's no action in that. If you are lost and you're looking for direction in your life, stop, be quiet, and trust in the Lord. And what does God say He'll do? He gives you strength. And you haven't even moved. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We have a high calling. It is a holy calling. And lastly, if you are achievement focused, get a new purpose and experience a grace that cannot be posted on Instagram. It cannot be liked on Facebook and it cannot be snapped to a friend. It is not yours, but it is a thing for your taking. And it is a treasure worth anything else in your life. Toward the end of John's gospel, John writes this. 
He's trying to summarize this life of Christ that he's attempted to summarize. It's been very hard. He's had to throw a lot of things out. Things that he's like, you got to be kidding. I could have written so much more. But John says, this is my focus. He said, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Don't let these things suck the life out of you. It's not what God intended. And it's not what Jesus bled and died for. He came to give you life. And it is sweet. So, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and kind and you call us to a life that knows no bounds. You call us to a life of of joy and peace, and trust, and impact, and it is a gift, and we thank you that you provide that for us. Lord, help us to set aside these things that can suck the life out of us, and may we live for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.